Welcome to WMPG Tuesday Night Talk Radio. I'm Orion Breen, and with us tonight is Dana Humphrey, Dean of Engineering at the University of Maine. How's it going today? It's going great, and it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Like much of Maine, the engineering workforce is aging. Dana, can you tell us about the need for more engineers in Maine and what the University of Maine is doing to spur engineering employment growth? A- absolutely. Uh, 27% of the engineers working in Maine right now are age 55 or older. They're going to be exiting the workforce. And we combine that, the number of engineers employed in Maine in the last 10 years has gone up by about 810 engineers. Uh, so when you combine retirements that need to be replaced and growth, uh, Maine needs to roughly double the number of engineering graduates to meet the need. Uh, So what we've done, uh, University of Maine has been ramping up our capacity to produce engineers. Our enrollment uh, in engineering has grown by over 70% since 2001. Uh, We added six faculty members this academic year. We're adding four more engineering faculty members next academic year, again, trying to ramp up the capacity so we can produce the engineers that are essential to Maine's economy. Why are engineers so essential to Maine's economy? Everything that we touch uh, is made by an engineer or designed by an engineer. Uh, And if you pick out some of the large companies in Maine, companies like uh, Texas Instruments in South Portland, they absolutely rely on engineers for their products. Uh, And those engineers create many, many other jobs uh, that take uh, and and are more on the production side of things. Uh, We look at companies like Pratt & Whitney in North Berwick. Uh, They have a huge workforce, uh, but it relies on engineers to design uh, and actually figure out how to make these very sophisticated parts for jet engines. Uh, And not only do we have these large businesses that need engineers, we have small businesses that need engineers. Uh, companies like uh, Kepler Technology, we're located here in Portland. They rely on engineers. They make uh, automated uh, so- or software for automated production equipment. They produce great, high-paying jobs that are essential for all of us. People have been talking about STEM, science, technology, engineering, math programs in schools for a few years now. Are you seeing more people come out of high school with better science knowledge and more career interests? We are absolutely seeing a surge in interest in engineering. I think it's reflected in our enrollment numbers. By and large, the students we accept into the College of Engineering, they're well-prepared, they're going to do well, but I am also seeing a growth in students who want to be an engineer, but academically, they're not prepared. Uh, So we need to do a little bit of extra work with them uh, to get them ready to be an engineer. I've heard that USM has some partnerships with the community college in Southern Maine. Uh, Absolutely. The University of Maine established a partnership with uh, Southern Maine Community College seven years ago. Uh, And this is a program where they can complete two years at Southern Maine Community College and then move on to any of the 11 engineering or engineering technology degrees at the University of Maine. So we have a very well-established program. Are you uh, worried about cuts to science on the federal level or on the state level these Uh, days? Well, I'm certainly worried uh, about cuts uh, because uh, the basic knowledge that is created has formed the foundation for our society. If we think of something like the Internet, where did that start from? It started from a government-funded research project. Uh, Has the Internet revolutionized our economy? I think we'd all answer Absolutely. Uh, So uh, we don't know exactly what we'd work on today that will be the next biggest thing. 
But I am quite confident if we don't invest the money now, uh, we will not have that next uh, biggest thing. Uh, and government funding for what I would call high-risk ventures, meaning that there's not a you know, 90% certainty it will succeed, uh, that's absolutely essential to get this whole process started. And if we don't invest, uh, I think the U.S. economy will be uh, poorer for it. Yeah, a lot of these high-risk things, they may not succeed in building whatever it was they originally intend, but all the components that they figured out and problems they solved along the way can end up having civilian and business and revolutionary uses. Absolutely. You know, a, a great example is the project we did at the University of Maine for the U.S. Army, which resulted in development of Bridge in a Backpack. Uh, and that has resulted in a spin-off company uh, that has licensed that technology, uh, and they're building these kinds of bridges uh, throughout the Northeast and expanding beyond that. Uh, and these create uh, great jobs, and that's what Maine needs. Uh, what I say is we don't need more jobs. We need more good jobs. Are there any other projects like that? We're, we're doing a, a whole range of projects. Uh, so an example is uh, yesterday I had a tour of our pilot-level plant uh, to produce uh, jet fuel starting from trees. Uh, and uh, this is exciting because we need more than one way to take and obtain our fuel. Uh, and second, uh, Maine is a heavily forested country, uh, state, rather, uh, and we need to have ways to take and use that. Uh, and this is a, a pilot level scale, so this is not quite commercial, uh, but this is a, a plant that they've been running uh, 24 hours a day. They've got six people working on each of two 12-hour shifts taken and, and run this plant. So this is not a small-scale operation, uh, and this is to take and really prove this technology uh, so we can take and really uh, ultimately uh, receive the benefits of that. So that's, a, that's an example of a project that's got a very practical application, a very uh, immediate need. Uh, a really interesting project that is uh, literally out of this world uh, is a, a humane project that's on the International Space Station right now, and this is a system to detect leaks. Uh, and if you're an astronaut on the space station, leaks are bad. Uh, and uh, this system listens for the ultrasonic noise that small leaks make uh, and is able to take and locate where the leak is so it can be fixed. Uh, and uh, this is obviously, you know, good for the astronauts. And it's also good because, of course, all the oxygen that they breathe comes from down here on Earth. So it's also a maintenance problem. Uh, and that's a project that, that Ali Abedi, a faculty member in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering, uh, uh, is, is spearheading. And his project's actually up on the space station right now. Another one of our faculty members, Bill Davids, he's, a, he's head of our Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. Uh, he's wrapping up another project for NASA, and this is to test the structural integrity of a system to slow down spacecraft as they land on the surface of Mars. Uh, and these would be manned spacecraft. Uh, and uh, basically the problem, and engineers solve problems for a living, uh, the problem is the spacecraft is going uh, at 10,000 miles an hour through the vacuum of space. You've got astronauts in this, in this spacecraft, and somehow you need to slow it down to the point where it can safely land on, on the surface of Mars. Uh, and uh, what uh, Bill Davids is doing, along with both his graduate and five undergraduate students, uh, they're testing how strong this system is to slow down uh, the spacecraft. 
uh, and, and these projects are ones that really just kind of light up your imagination uh, in terms of, of, of uh, the, the types of things you can do. That's awesome. You have a background looking at soil, or I read. Something yes, about... yeah. So I'm I'm a I'm what's uh, I'm a my official title is I'm a geotechnical engineer, and that sounds kind of fancy, but it is is using soil and rock as a building material. Uh, and most of my own work uh, was using uh, cut up pieces of tires as lightweight fill. Uh, and now here in Maine, we have very weak soils, so when you're making a highway overpass. Sometimes you need a light material to pile up so you can get the road high enough to actually make it over the bridge, uh, as opposed to something heavy that's going to sink down into the soil. Uh, cut up pieces of tires weigh about one-third of what soil weighs. Uh, and a great example uh, is the Portland Jetport Interchange off of the main turnpike. That has about 1.2 million cut up tires in it. Uh, and there's several other exits that are kind of in that stretch of the uh, main turnpike that also have, have, have tires. Uh, and another aspect of that is when we started this work in about 1990, uh, Maine had uh, over 30 million scrap tires sitting out in the woods in piles. They're now virtually all gone. Many of them went into projects that I had a hand in, in terms of these cut-up pieces of, uh, of tires. Uh, and it also uh, happened because of a great partnership between uh, the Maine Department of Transportation, the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, and the Maine Turnpike Authority, so three government entities that worked together uh, along with the University of Maine to make this happen. So government can work. Government absolutely can work, and especially in a place like Maine, where you have from uh, the children from different agencies are playing on the same softball team. Uh, so you can really make things happen here. So I know, yeah, a lot of times there's a recycling fee on turning in tires, but now they're such a hot commodity, maybe we can... Uh, well, they're not that hot yet. Uh, the, uh, they're, uh, so what I'd say is, I mean, there is a need for that fee that's paid so the tire yeah. will actually uh, actually be able to find a, a productive end use. Yeah. Uh, but we were in a period of time uh, prior to, say, the early nine, 1990s, uh, Maine was the dumping ground for a lot of scrap tires from Massachusetts and some of the other states in New England, uh, and by virtue of a, a group that was organized by the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, we kind of understood what the magnitude of the problem was. Uh, this group had uh, industry representatives, government representatives. I was there from the University of Maine. Uh, we were able to figure out, okay, what was the solution we were able to take and basically uh, stop the uh, illegal dumping by virtue of the recommendations that came out of this committee, and then be on this pathway that we now completed to get rid of 30 million scrap tires and Maine should pat itself on the back for doing a good job with that. It's awesome. So you said you hired six new teachers this uh, yes. year. What what are some of their backgrounds? What projects have they been working on? Yes. Uh, so we so we hired a, a, a civil engineer whose expertise is uh, coastal aspects of water. Uh, so Maine, obviously, we're kind of on the land ocean interface. Uh, so these are things like, well, how our storm surge is going to take and, and affect potentially our state. Uh, so that's a great hire, uh, and that's a faculty member and. Uh, in civil engineering. Uh, we hired, over the last couple of years, we hired two new faculty members in our uh, bioengineering program, which is a biomedical-focused program. They uh, partnered with Maine Medical Center uh, along with their students, uh, and what they developed is a medical mannequin that properly simulates the breathing of children four years and younger. 
And the reason that this type of technology is important is that when doctors and nurses are you know, trying to diagnose uh, an illness and then apply the appropriate, uh, appropriate treatments to, to uh, remedy that, you don't want them to practice on us. You know, we go in the hospital and we're sick. You want them to practice on medical mannequins. And Maine Medical Center has a marvelous uh, simulation laboratory, uh, and that's the specific unit we partner with. And what they did not have is a mannequin that simulated the breathing pattern of children four years and younger. Uh, and we adults, when we take in a breath, it's mostly our chest, but children, it's both chest and abdomen. Uh, and our students, uh, working with our two new faculty members, developed this medical mannequin. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing, uh, it's, a, it's a great device. They're working on getting a patent on it. It's a great thing for our students to partner with this, and it's also great to be partnering with uh, Maine Medical Center. Uh, you probably saw this report from uh, the Maine Development Foundation, the Maine Economic Growth Council's measures of growth and they had a red flag for Maine's R&D spending yes and said you know we need 1 billion dollars from the private sector and nonprofits and government spending in R&D right. just to reach the 3% benchmark that would put us around the national average so we're behind in that right. uh, is the 1 billion possible you think and how do we how do we get there uh, well, I think we need to take and do it one bite at a time. What I'd say is it is critical uh, for the state of Maine. Uh, and just as an example, as we look in the transition of our forest products industry from one that was focused primarily on dimensional lumber, so, you know, the kind of lumber you'd buy at, uh, buy at the lumber yard, uh, and paper making, as it's really transitioning to other uses for those, it takes intense R&D efforts to make that happen. Uh, and, and the story that I talked about trying to take and make jet fuel essentially out of trees, well, that takes R&D, and part of that is paid by the R&D uh, investment. Uh, so we need that to help change that particular aspect. And then we have other, way, uh, other companies like the one that does bridging a backpack. Okay, well, it takes work uh, to make that happen. Uh, and if we in Maine are going to have good-paying jobs, R&D investments are critical uh, because they create that uh, those upper-end jobs. Two things that I was interested in hearing more about, tidal power and also offshore wind power. Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, for tidal power, we uh, primarily partner with uh, Ocean Renewable Power Corporation, whose headquarters is here in Portland, uh, but they are actually operating off of Eastport. Uh, we're doing some work for them right now in our Advanced Structures and Composites Laboratory, uh, doing some testing on the bearing system, uh, on this, the rotating blades that actually capture uh, the energy from, uh, from tidal power. Uh, so that's a that's a that's a very that's a very active uh, area we're working in, and in terms of offshore wind, uh, we have the funding to build at full scale off of uh, Monhegan Island in state waters. Uh, uh, there is a little bit of controversy about that right now, uh, but what I'd say is that in terms of uh, a future major area for growth in Maine, that is a large one. Uh, and our technology is such that the workforce it would take to build these is right here in Maine, including most of the resources, uh, because the part for our towers, the part that actually floats in the water, is made out of concrete. Now, you may think, Dana, you've lost your mind. You can't put concrete in water and have it float, but I will point out we do make steel ships float, uh, and so these concrete uh, flotation structures have a lot of air in them, but in Maine, we make cement in Thomaston. 
we have plentiful aggregate resources, we have a labor force that's well trained to take and make concrete structures. Uh, so we, uh, we really see this as, a, as, a, as both a, a boon for Maine's economy uh, as well as uh, a, a great way to shift uh, our, our sources of energy. Well, I had uh, I interviewed Adam Cody a little while back, and he brought up the offshore wind power and the idea that you know we can export the knowledge we've gained, and that's tremendous intellectual capital Correct. coming back into the state of Maine and back into the university system. If we absolutely so, so not only would I say that we want to export our knowledge, we actually want to be able to build somebody else's offshore wind turbines here using our knowledge and export that. Uh, because then, again, that's taking and creating these, these jobs that are critical for our state. I've talked to Angus King years ago, and that was one of his big uh, thing was an offshore floating wind platform. Yes, he, he, he called the area off of Maine the uh, Saudi Arabia off of wind. Uh, uh, and if you were to were able to capture all the wind, is to put it in some general term, it, we could, it's somewhere as more than 150 nuclear power plants worth of wind. Uh, more concrete terms is over 150 gigawatts, uh, but and that's a lot of power. And we could take and, and actually have that be uh, a, a source of revenue for the state of Maine, and again applying or providing jobs for Maine. With your background, I mean, you could live anywhere in the country. Why? Why do you live in Maine? What makes Maine special to you? So, so I really have to come as to why I came to Maine, uh, and because uh, I've been in Maine for thirty-one years, uh, I was interviewing for a faculty position at the University of Maine. They sat me down with a group of ten students, uh, and they interviewed me as part of this process here. And I was so impressed with those students. I knew that Maine was the place that I wanted to come to. And of those 10 students, there's two that I'm still in touch with in the professional community. Uh, and uh, one is one of my greatest recruiters of new students. Uh, and, uh, and so really, it kind of boils down to the, to the people. Uh, and now, why do I stay in Maine? Uh, uh, I, I love the University of Maine. Uh, I love the balance that it puts on quality teaching and quality research. I'm an avid enjoyer of the outdoors. I'm a road cyclist. Uh, I'm a backpacker. I'm very active in the Maine Appalachian Trail Club that maintains the Maine Appalachian Trail corridor in Maine. Uh, and you put that all together, uh, Maine is the perfect place. Uh, so uh, I, I truly uh, in, enjoy the state of Maine. Uh, my wife and I live on a small farm in, uh, in Palmyra, uh, and we both like having you know kind of a chunk of land. And uh, it is a it's a good thing. I'm from uh, St. Albans originally. Indeed, so right, next uh, right next door. I bicycle through St. Albans all the time. Who inspires you in Maine and beyond? So really who, where I get my inspiration from is my students. Uh, these are incredibly bright people. I, I, I was nowhere as close to where these, these, these I call them kids, but you know, they're you know, 20, 21-year-olds. Uh, I, I was nowhere as near where they are when I was their age in terms of the kind of projects that they, that they work on. Yesterday, I, I was able to take and look at the senior capstone projects for our mechanical engineering students, uh, and many of the students were making uh, autonomous land drones that had the ability to navigate from where they needed to start to where they needed to go. They had collision avoidance systems, so that they, if there was a tree or something in the way, it would it would work its way around it. Uh, and just the ingenuity that it takes to 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 produce these is just uh, amazing. 
so I was getting the lowdown on how how different ones of these work, and I was also asking these graduates, you know, what do you, you know, what's what's next for you? Uh, virtually every one of them said, I've got a job lined up. They're great jobs. If you were going on to graduate school, uh, and so kind of the satisfaction that I see through my students and the inspiration I get from them uh, is the great work that they do uh, and the great careers that they have. Uh, and I'd add, I've been in Maine long enough that I have the children of my former students coming back every year. Uh, and to me, that is a great testament to the, to the quality we have at the University of Maine because if a parent went there and they're willing to send their child there too, it's like, okay, we're doing something pretty good. Well, the, the engineering program at the University of Maine is very well acclaimed. It, it's it's a very it's a very strong program uh, by virtue of uh, how much we've grown uh, and the quality and opportunities that our graduates have uh, and and I want to be at an institution that's the size of the University of Maine where I get to meet my students get to know my students I get to you know see what they're doing after they graduate uh, one of my degrees or two of my degrees actually is from Purdue University. That is a huge place, well over 40,000 students now. Uh, and it's a very, very different feel than a place like the University of Maine, uh, where you know your faculty by their first name. Uh, so I, I guess I, I am dean of the College of Engineering, but the students, I'm just Dana to the students. Uh, and that's the way I want it. What are some of the toys you guys have to play with? You have some pretty advanced facilities and 3D printing and all these different things. Uh, yeah, so we, we have, uh, I don't know, I've lost track of how many 3D printers we have, and they have different capabilities. Our largest one can print a block that's a little less than three feet by three feet by three feet. So this isn't the, you know, the kind of one that maybe students are seeing in, in high schools. Uh, so, uh, and those are important tools. And I, and I spoke of the, the project that our biomedical engineering students are doing from a medical center. Well, some of the key components for that they made on on, on a 3D printer. Uh, uh, I think the, the coolest new toy that we have is our wind wave basin, uh, where we test the behavior of floating structures subjected to wind and wave at the same time. And on a scale basis, uh, we can uh, generate the equivalent of a 100-foot wave at the same time as 200-mile-per-hour wind. And it's like, wow, this is just uh, amazing. Uh, and the wind generator itself, uh, we made that because we got the price for what it would cost to buy one. And we said, forget that. But one of our, uh, our engineers, uh, Anthony Vaselli, he just said, yep, we can just do that. Uh, so Anthony and his team of, of students uh, made a wind generator that, that generates the equivalent of 200 mile per hour wind. Uh, and, and one thing that just personally I, I feel very gratified about, uh, Anthony was my undergraduate advisee in civil engineering. So to see what these students do is just a, is just a great sense of satisfaction. So do you ever bring your surfboard out on that? Uh, I get asked at least once a week uh, about, uh, about if people uh, bring their, their surfboards. Uh, and uh, we haven't quite done that yet, but uh, UMaine does have a recruiting video showing uh, somebody uh, in a rowboat kind of snoozing, being rocked back and forth. And then you hear somebody off camera shout, Jake, Jake, wake up. Uh, and, he, you know, and then it pans out. You can see they're in the wind wave facility. Uh, so we don't, we don't go surfing. We do have certified scuba divers because at times we need to take enough scuba divers in the tank to position anchoring systems and things like that. But uh, no, no, no surfing yet that at least I've seen. I believe I heard you have a, a lab that business entrepreneur people can bring and have a prototype developed uh, with their ideas? Yes, this is the uh, Advanced Manufacturing Center run by uh, John Belding. 
Uh, and we work with uh, a range of companies in Maine to take and bring the idea that may only start as an idea in their head and actually get it to the point where we have a, a working prototype uh, to somebody who already has the idea uh, and is able to, and, and comes to us to help put it together. So an example of a, of, a, of a project that we just completed in the Advanced Manufacturing Center is we partnered, partnered with Lanco Assembly in Westbrook uh, to make a machine for L.L. Bean that's going to automatically stitch up the bags uh, that they sell, you know, the ones with kind of cloth handles. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and that's is now in Brunswick, uh, now being finally set up to make bags. So there's a case where we've got a, a main company partnered with another main company on a product they needed that partnered with the university for something that's going to be made in Maine. Uh, so I wouldn't say that's a triple win. That's a, that's a forfer. Uh, in terms of, of, of the kind of win that we have there. Some of our projects are smaller. Uh, an example uh, is we work for a company in Auburn called uh, Falcon Performance Footwear. Uh, they make hard-toed shoes for industries like firefighters, so when they're wearing boots, you need a hard toe to keep their toes from getting crushed. Uh, and uh, you want to have a composite toe, not steel, because steel, think wintertime outside, not a good thing. Uh, so we actually worked with them to take a composite toe they were buying from China, figure out how it was made, and then figured out how to make it here. So there was a case where we took something that was being made in China and brought it back into Maine. Uh, and, and these are true wins uh, for, for Maine people. So what would you say to a young person thinking about a career in science or engineering? If a student wants to really have a career where they can make a difference, they can make the world a better place, engineering uh, and science is a great way to do that. There are other things you can do with your life uh, where you could take and see, okay, there's a big problem. Uh, isn't it just awful? But engineers have the skills to solve the problem. Uh, and a great example is energy. Uh, so I'm of the baby boom generation, just to kind of put, put that, uh, my age in perspective. Uh, I'll probably make it out of this world mostly burning fossil fuel. But the students who are entering college now, they will not. Uh, and who actually has the skills to make the transition? Well, it's engineers. Uh, when we walk into a hospital or doctor's office and you look at all that technology, who makes that technology that helps make people healthier? Well, it's engineers. Uh, and so if you want to have a career where you can make a difference, make the world a better place, make a good salary, have great working conditions, uh, in some cases, if you want to travel the world, you can do that. And, and, and I've basically traveled the world on somebody else's dime because of being an engineer. Uh, and it's, it's, just, it's just a blast. And if I could turn the clock of time back again and make myself 18, I would absolutely pick being an engineer again. Thank you, Dana Humphrey, uh, Dean of Engineering at the University of Maine. Thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Will do.